Hello and welcome to the Not a Victim podcast. Not a Victim is a show about learning to live a life without excuses. Today's guest is Matt Mosley. Here's the show. All right, man. So just tell me a little bit about your background and kind of your upbringing and uh, everything that led to where you found yourself years ago. Um, I mean, I feel like basically to tell my story, I kind of have to tell my dad's as well. Um, basically, my my mom and dad uh, met while my dad was in prison. Um, he had committed burglaries and was uh, arrested Newton County Jail, and he actually escaped Newton County Jail. Um, was on the run for like six months, and then when he did go to court, he was um, he was sentenced to um, he was sentenced to uh, forty six years. Um, basically, when he got to Jackson, he tried to kill himself. Um, he he slit his wrist, um, you know, pulled the covers back, and you know, a guard just happened to be walking by and saw you know what was going on. After the guard, <clears throat> they revived him, um, and he basically was made to go to a counselor. The counselor asked him, uh, well, you know, why'd you kill him? Why'd you try to kill yourself? And, you know, he told her, I got 46 years. And, you know, she said, wow, who'd you kill? He said, nobody. I did a burglary and escaped. And, um, you know, basically he got his sentence reduced down to like five years compared to the 46 years. And, uh, I mean, I kind of bring that up because I feel like, you know, there's so many, um, you know, consequences that we go through, but there's so much stuff that, like, never would have brought my parents together or, like, I would have never been here had he, one, not tried to kill himself, which is crazy because he got a sentence reduced, you know. I mean, I I was conceived about 10 years after this, so, I mean, it kind of makes sense. Um, and, I mean, also, um, it's where my mom and dad actually met. Like, my mom was uh, sneaking him in quaaludes and, um, you know, a little crazy, but, yeah. But basically, um, you know, I was I was born in Massachusetts. Um, uh, pretty sure, you know, I don't talk too much with my mom about the relationship, but I'm pretty sure their relationship was abusive. So um, my mom actually uh, fled Massachusetts. Uh, my dad had a successful business, Accents Painting. I mean, it was a multi-million dollar business. We basically lived in, in kind of like a, a mansion in Massachusetts, and we moved uh, from Massachusetts to Georgia to live with his mom, which was my grandma, but uh, basically, we moved into the neighborhood that uh, eventually was going to send me down a crazy path. But yeah, so we moved in with my grandma, and um, I, I grew up there for a little while. Um, we lived uh, in a couple projects in, in different places, mostly around Rockdale County, Conyers area. I actually grew up in a neighborhood called Lake Ridge. Um, whoop, whoop. But yeah, so we actually um, ended up buying a house uh, about six years uh, after living with my grandma, we bought a house in the same exact neighborhood, um, and basically, right around the time like the housing collapse and a lot of this stuff was is, was in the process, um, that neighborhood turned into Section Eight and literally became a ghetto. It's kind of uh, that's kind of my story as far as you know. That was this is kind of the scene. I mean, this is what what is you know becoming you know what is what is going to happen. I mean, I, when I started. Uh, really getting into trouble um, is probably around 10, 11 years old. I started 
experimenting with alcohol, um, with sex, with, you know, with other things. And then, you know, by the time I turned 15, uh, really by the time I turned 13, I was already uh, selling marijuana. Uh, I was experimenting with pills, um, Xanax, Lortabs, things of that nature. I mean, I was selling them to basically support my habit. But by the time I turned uh, uh, 15, I was I was a full-blown drug dealer. I mean, I had actual, like, um, returning customers that, you know, would call me would or I would go see them on a, uh, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, from birth to, you know, kind of where I'm at, um, you know, my dad just really wasn't in the picture, you know, I mean, even after he got out on parole and, you know, I was, I was born, he still just, he was, you know, he's always been kind of absent, you know, he would show up, he, you know, he'd make parole or he'd, you know, get back out you know, or, you know, he always wrote me while he was in there and then, you know, he would get out and nothing would change. He would, you know, go find someone else's kids to halfway raise and then, you know, bounce out on them too. So, you know, just kind of setting up the tone here, um, you know. How do you think, like, the way that your situation with your dad was affected you um, as you developed, as as you were becoming a man, you know what I mean? Um, I feel like, honestly, like my brother, I had an older brother, which you know, it's five years older than me. I feel like my brother kind of had to take on a role that he wasn't ready for. Uh, my brother basically was the father figure to me. And, uh, I mean, you know, ultimately, I mean, he's not the reason for me using drugs or, or, or doing drugs, but, you know, he got involved in them. And honestly, I just, I wanted to be like my older brother, you know, I mean, he was, you know, basically my older brother and my dad. So, I mean, there was definitely a void, uh, a lot of the fights, that I got into in school, um, I think a lot of it was, you know, stimulated from anger, from you know, just the imbalance in in, in my home life. Was there ever a season um, in your life that you felt you would never get out of? That that the devil told you, you the way you feel right now, you'll always feel this way. Um, yes, definitely. About the time I was. Uh, I think I was around 15 years old. Um, my drug use had escalated into uh, to methamphetamines. Uh, at this point, I had done every kind of drug there was. I had been uh, I've been kicked out of school, multiple schools. I had been uh, arrested three different times, and uh, you know I had been robbed three different times as well. I just kind of hit a low. You know, experimenting be- turned into addiction, and you know I, I just had not felt love which also really made me depressed. And I was going through girl after girl, um, and, you know, none of them to me were, like, wife-worthy. You know, it was just kind of like a fling thing, and I was just tired. Um, I got to a point where I started, you know, fantasizing, uh, you know. I, I wouldn't say I was contemplating suicide, but I was fantasizing suicide because I just really did not see a worth in living where I was just constantly paranoid. Um, you know, my brother was basically the, the biggest drug dealer in Conyers at the time, and, uh, you know, my basement was basically a meth lab. And, um, you know, the fact that I sold drugs upstairs as well, I just constantly was paranoid. And just honestly, it was miserable. I just I did not enjoy living at this time. Um, but I I feel like I've honestly seen... Satan, like in the flesh, like I feel like I've seen his true, uh, like, like I've seen his minions, so to speak, his demons, like 
like in people, um, being that my house was a meth lab, our, our, my my basement was a trap. You know, I mean, my brother had constant customers over, and uh, just watching them operate. Um, you know, it's you know at the time I would like make jokes about it, but it, it was it was very disturbing. I mean, just these people just walked around like zombies. I mean, they were you know looking through. I mean, they were looking through carpets on the floor, looking for shards of meth so that they could smoke it or inject it. Um, I think the first time I saw somebody inject meth was was a pretty crazy experience as well. I mean, it's just, um, but yeah, definitely, uh, you know, and even the time I was getting clean, there's times where I felt like this is never going to end. This period is just never going to stop. What was your turning point moment? When did you decide enough was enough and, uh, and what happened after that? Um, I remember, uh, laying in my bed one night and I just, I basically had had enough. I just, I told God, if, if this is, you know, if this is what life is then I'd rather not live it. Um, but followed up that, you know, uh, you know, I actually, you know, I said a genuine prayer. I mean, before that I usually prayed to, to kind of like win the lottery or, or whatever. And, um, you know, my prayers were to me, they just weren't genuine I wasn't coming to him with reverence. I wasn't respecting that he is the king of the universe, the designer of life. You know, I just, I would just come to him and like, he's, you know, kind of like a leprechaun or something, you know, like, give me the gold, you know what I mean? So, um, I just, I had a genuine prayer. I was 15 and, uh, I just, I told God I was tired, you know, I was tired and I felt like I needed to be something or, or do something with my life, but I didn't know how. So I just, that's what I did. I prayed. I said, God, please, you know, I'm tired of all these drugs, you know, and I'm tired of all these girls. It's just, I just really want love. And I prayed for love. And that is, you know, it's basically, you know, kind of when I started dating my wife, which I was 15, we went to the same high school. Um, Basically, my my friends kind of blew me off. It was a field trip that was going on. And uh, I was supposed to ride with some of my buddies, and then we were going to go get high after the field trip. And uh, they kind of blew me off. And I called Erica, and she actually waited on me. So I was like, you know, I met her at a Waffle House, and we went to, I think, Six Flags or something like that. And then on the way, when we were leaving Six Flags, my buddies were like, you know, hey, aren't you coming over? I mean, I was always the one that had the weed or, or, or the meth or whatever that was getting everybody high. So you know, they wanted me to come get them high. And I was like, no, you know, I'm not. So I went over to her house that day and, um, I saw, you know, an area where I saw a home where people were loved. And, um, it, as much as I guess drug life can be addicting, um, you know, being a drug dealer can be addicting, um, seeing, um, the country, you know, for like the, you know, the first time and, and seeing, you know, how loved their family was, was definitely, uh, is an addictive feeling. Mm. Um, what would you say about your the way okay let me restart this phrase (laughs) (laughs) Um, in reference to your experience with your with your father and your parents like how has that affected you as a dad and as a husband and and how have you used things that were really deep wounds to force change to just decide that it would not be the way it was when you were a kid um I think I've like overdone that, you know, and into a sense where like there's times in my life where I'm just like, there's, I just really don't want to be like my dad. And I would, 
like overdo things or overemphasize things, um, you know, with discipline. I would overdiscipline or, um, you know, really, I don't, I'm an addict, so I mean, I kind of overdo anything that I do. But um, I remember this is kind of like a story that relates to that. Um, when my wife was pregnant with my, you know, my son, Trenton, I was uh, 20 years old and I was like, um, you know, at this time, I mean, it's my first son. I mean, it's my first kid. I was nervous as all get out. I wrote an entire mixtape in the process. Like I was, uh, definitely going through some stuff, you know, but I knew in my mind, I was like, there's no way I can be like my dad. You know, like I don't care if I work at McDonald's, I'm going to be in his life. And one thing that was like extremely important to me was that I seen the birth of my son because, you know, I heard a story that like my dad was out cheating on my mom, like while I was being born, like he's literally sleeping with a lady while I'm being born. So it was like extremely important that I see my son be born. And like, I'm, I'm at school taking a test and my wife calls me. She's like, you gotta leave like right now or you're going to miss it. So I'm driving probably 120 on the highway. Kids don't do this, but I was driving 120 on the highway and you know, I, pull up to the hospital and I literally walk in like two minutes late. So it's like, I overemphasized. I like really, really did not want to miss this. And I still missed it. I mean, I walked in, he's still bloody and they're cleaning him up on the table and all that good stuff. But it was, it was, it was like really heartbreaking. So like now, like, and it was kind of a life, life lesson to me, but now I'm kind of like, you know, as much as I don't want to identify with my dad, I'm not my dad. So I still do things in my own way, but I don't do things opposite to how he did them just not to make his, his other, his mistakes. Cause I feel like I'm to a point now where I'm making my own mistakes. Hmm. What would you say to someone that is just skeptical of change at all, that they've just tried a bunch of times to be different and just, it's the same thing every time they just, at this point, after being dropped on their head this many times, they're just skeptical of being able to change it all. I don't know. Like I, I had tried to, and I say I tried to get clean, but, and that's the thing. Like, um, and I've seen, I've seen addicts do this where they'll, they'll quit and then they start back or they, they slide like, like really quickly. Um, that was kind of me. Like I would, you know, I'd have moments of where I was like, yeah, man, I really want to do like good things in life. And then, I feel like maybe doubt would kind of get in the way. It's like, uh, but you're not, you know, you're not, you know, I'd have people around me like, man, you're from this neighborhood. We don't do those kind of things from this neighborhood. Like, you know, you're from this neighborhood. This is what we do, you know, or, you know, you're, you're this area of, of class in, in this, you know, system that we have designed in America, you know, you're on the poor side. Like you don't, you don't have those kind of chances, you know, I would let those kind of things like affect me and, you know, and I'm not blaming people for saying those things because it was really me that was listening to them. Um, but I think honestly, um, to change, you know, like a permanent change, you really have to separate yourself from the people that you're around. Um, and that's really for me, like I cut off everybody I knew, like, you know, everybody, everybody I knew, you know, I don't care if they were halfway good, halfway bad, whatever, I completely quit talking to him and I only associated with my wife and my wife's sober friends. You know, I just, I just developed new friends. I mean, I've heard it said from a lot of business moguls and, you know, people that really, um, um, have established businesses. They say, you know, if you want to be successful, you know, 
get around five people that are successful, and you too will be successful. The, terif- the terrifying part of that is that season right after that, that moment right after that when you cut off all these people that are going in a bad p- direction. Like that season right there where now there's just a blank space. What was what was that like? Well, and see, and, and this is kind of, you know, maybe kind of a bad thing for me, but I think like, you know, at this point, my wife was like the most important thing. Well, at the time it was my girlfriend, but my girlfriend became the most important thing in my life. I mean, I had not really, I, I had not met Jesus or had any kind of relationship with him. Like I, I had kind of like halfway got saved when I was 13 and some church while I was still like hungover and high from the night before. So, I mean, I guess you could say I got saved then, but that's definitely not when I started walking. Um, but I didn't really have a relationship with uh, with Christ and you know, when me and my wife first started dating, she was the only positive thing I had in my life, so I clung to it, uh, or clung to it. So, I mean, I didn't really have this void, but... Do you, do you feel like during that time, you unintentionally became codependent in that relationship? You know what I mean? Yes. Like, anything can be too much. Yes, yes. That, and that, that was kind of what I was getting to. Like, um, definitely, definitely became very codependent. You know, she was like my 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 savior you know what i mean and that in 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 that sense i mean you know it's as twisted as it sounds you know it was it was basically like she was my my jesus she was my god you know and later on in life you know i would come to terms with that you know and i would have to you know really address a situation where you know things had to change you know my god is my god you know when i knew my god when i met my god i knew okay you know god you were god wife this is where you are. You're number two, you know, and that was hard for me, but yeah. And I, I bring that up because um, going back to what you said earlier, uh, I guess about seven years ago, I was in a place where I was, I felt like I was on an inevitable path to suicide. Not that I was like uh, literally attempting it at that moment, but like the lights were going out in my life and I just felt like I'm just losing reasons to be here. And, um, and that was really... Uh, a reaction to extreme codependence in in a relationship, um, and so I just uh, have kindness for people that are are wrestling with that because, you know, when this was happening, I had never experienced this kind of attention or this kind of affection really. So when I did experience it, I just like I made it way too important, and um, and as negative as that can get. Um, I think it's has parallels with honesty with God that like during that time, how open and how vulnerable, vulnerable, very hard to say, <laughs> um, just how open I was with this girl and how unhealthy that was that God wanted that level of honesty for me and he didn't want me to run from him. And going back to what you're saying with uh, old habits and and hanging around people with with certain habits that like people will always judge what you do and who you are as the same thing and asking them not to do that is just asking an impossible task it will always be that way what you do and who you are is are the same thing to to other humans because they are basically window shopping in your life but that to god those are separate that who you are and what you do are not the same because God sees every motive and and sees every uh, pain behind every motive and every just every instinct behind that, and because of that, wants to 
just be close to you in a way that your instincts change, that you genuinely um, are uh, are just you're just a different person because this void and this loneliness um, and this like isolation from uh, real openness with any other person is is slowly going away, and uh, and learning to live a different way and learning to live with different uh, habits and um, just to someone who is uh, currently in the middle of of hiding things to deal with in that that being very normal um, just just to just address him in you know and not not sugarcoat that um, <clears throat> all that said. Matt, thank you for your time and, and for your honesty. Um, Matt is also a rapper, and um, so he's going to tell you where you can find his music. Okay, guys, you can go to www.noisetrade.com slash M-O-Z-Y-Z. It's a weird way to spell Moses. Um, but yeah, and you can also uh, look me up on Facebook, or just if you Google me, pretty much all my information comes up. Once again, it's M O Z Y Z. Anyway, thank you so much. Thank you guys. We'll see you next Monday. Yep. Right.